you're there with probably like 300 of your closest friends, right? Like it's, you're not the only one who knows about this spot, but it's still spectacular. Uh, you go up pitch black and you just wait in the darkness. And it is not board short and hoodie weather, in case you're wondering. It is like snow pants and parka weather because you're up at the top of this mountain, which only makes sense that it would be freezing even on the island of Maui. And so you're up at the top of this, and you're waiting in the dark, waiting in the dark, waiting in the dark. And if you got there early enough to get like a front row view, uh, you're waiting a really long time. But what you wait for is for the first glimpses of light to come over the horizon in the Pacific. And so... As those first little bits of light start to come up, you see the landscape of this crater, and it looks a lot like Mars, and it's pretty wild. But what you get to watch is this island go from pitch black to like a ray of light shooting across the horizon with the curve of the earth and the way it sits. It literally is like that first ray of light shooting through. And in the course of a few minutes, the full sky is lit up, the day has begun, and everybody starts to get in single file lines rushing to get down. But they've been able to glimpse it, and people go there to wait just for this moment where the sun hits the island of Maui and lights everything up. And I cannot tell you, not just because of the cold, but also how beautiful it is when that first ray of light shoots through the darkness, it is stunning. The reason I share that story with us is because today's teaching from Matthew chapter 4 uses that exact imagery. It's the imagery of Jesus coming onto the scene and people have been in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, people who have been in the darkness seeing a great light. Uh, not just one sort of person, but all sorts of people. And not just one culture, but the entire cosmos waking up to the reality that the king has arrived. And it's an incredible moment. Uh, we're going to jump into that teaching in just a second, but we're going to do this first. Um, if you had to summarize the message of Jesus, many of us have spent time uh, studying Jesus. We spent time uh, learning from him. Some of us maybe for many, many years, some of us for just a few moments, uh, but all of us, I think in the room as I look around, are familiar with at least the person of Jesus and one of his teachings. Fair, fair assessment? We're good with that? All right. So if you had to summarize, though, uh, here's what Jesus basically taught. Boil it down, really simple. What would you say? What would be the simplicity of the message of Jesus? Uh, I want you to turn to a few people around you. Get comfortable because you're going to be in these groups at least two other times. Uh, but turn towards the few people around you and say, if I had to summarize, what would the basic teachings of Jesus be? If somebody else gives an answer and you're like, I like that one better, don't steal theirs, come up with your own, um, it's okay. What would you say? Here's basically what the teaching of Jesus was about. He was a prophet, right, born some 2,000 plus years ago on the backside of a small little village. And today, we still shape our lives around his life and his teaching. So it's pretty profound. There's a lot going on there. Uh, what part of his teaching would you say summarizes it best? Turn towards a few people around you, and I'll pull you back in just a moment. Ready, set, go. Uh, cut it right in between. Uh, what, what are some of those summaries? Go ahead and I'll pass you this mic and I would love to hear some of the summaries from across the room. You get, are you volunteering yourself as well? Okay. Um, I said that 
Jesus' message was for the people in that time just as much as it is for us. So I, I said that uh, his message was that the old covenant has been fulfilled through him, that the new covenant has arrived through him, and that he is the one and only way to salvation. Thank you. Who else? We're going to do a few of these, so it's not just good. That's what we're going with. Leilani said life. Full, abundant, true life. I love it. Thank you so much. I'll look over this way. Anybody else? What else you got? Jake asked for three more hours, so we'll see how this goes. Get comfortable, people. Now, uh, I'm going to combine a few different things that were said in our group. Um, uh, Brittany said the kingdom of heaven is here. Nick said it's not what you think. It's what you think or what you're expecting. And then I added, and I want you to be a part of it. So the kingdom is here. It's not what you thought. And I want you in. Lyric uh, said that Jesus' message was to share like what God was like, like to paint that picture for people. Anybody else? Um, I'm actually going to share what Mari said because I didn't know if she was going to say it. Um, but she said, the message is action. The message is taking up your cross and following me. And then I added to that, like, um, Jesus's invitation, the summarization is, imitate me like I'm imitating the Father. I'll share Jake's. He said that it was a message of, <laughs> we're all sharing each other's. It was so good, though, it's like ringing, that it's a message of liberation. Cool. I remember uh, sitting in a group of uh, professional uh, scholars, uh, people that study the Bible for a living, a uh, group of, and including pastors as well. Um, that's not all they do, but it was like a, a mixed group of people that had uh, advanced degrees. And the communicator paused for a second and just said, hey, uh, you guys have, at this point, it was still called Twitter, whatever Elon Musk renamed it as, insert that, whatever that, what is it? So creative. Um, so uh, it's Twitter, so you had how many characters for Twitter? 140 characters. 140 characters or less. What was Jesus' message? You guys have advanced degrees. You can figure this out. Go ahead and say it. Uh, and so he really restricted it down so that people had to come up and think through critically, which was one of the values of Twitter until people realized they could work hyperlinks, and then it didn't do it anymore because it was like, good, click here. Then there's my year-long essay on it, right? And it was like, that's not the point. Um, so we have... That we, uh, he asked the question and people broke off and came up with group answers. And it was beautiful. Like all across the room was popcorning the answer, like grace. So people were like really reduced. I don't get 140, G-R-A-C-E, we're good to go. Like five, life, liberation, healing. Uh, his message was one of forgiveness. Uh, his message was the good news that you can be saved. Uh, Jesus' teaching was love God, love neighbor, love your enemy. And it was like, man, that's good. That just synthesized that beautiful teaching, right, about uh, what Jesus calls us into as the full completion of the law. And people gave different nuances, different dimensions of it. And that was, it was a great exercise because it forces us to say, all right, I know there's a lot that matters, but if I had to summarize it, what would I say? And then his moment of just stepping back and he's like, yeah, this is why we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today, uh, because there's a lot of different important teachings that make sense. Uh, there's different things that matter. There's different contours that are helpful. There's different words in different seasons that even contextualize themselves in different ways. 
but his lecture at the time was based around this text, which was, uh, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so I, I know in some of your minds, you're like, I, I know it's going to be kingdom related. I know where we're at in the book, uh, but here's how I summarize it. My word was that little five word summary because that was what was rocking my world that I was grace. His message was grace, that the lonely, the lost, the least, the left out were invited into God's story and stuff that we didn't deserve, we were given. And those of us that were bored, that were, had dropped out, that had given up all hope, that no longer wanted anything to do with Jesus or his church, uh, those that wanted to do nothing and just failed all the time, that we had a home in his kingdom when we were brought in and so just like stamp that word grace on it and that's not that's not a bad thing it's not a wrong thing God absolutely has grace but what he said was that this invitation is to look at the life and the teaching and the summary of Jesus as this term the kingdom of heaven or in other gospels the kingdom of God those two words stack up he's like if you had to summarize what Jesus basically taught this is what he said he was teaching all the time and all the rest finds its home within that folder so to speak uh, when you double click on the kingdom of God folder underneath that are all the other things that we often think of the events the invitations the commands the different ways that we're invited to participate, the different benefits that are ours because of what Jesus did. He said, when Jesus came to teach, he was teaching the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And for all the original listeners, that would have been like a massive, uh, massive code word that drew them all the way back through the whole biblical story. And so we'll be talking about this for quite a while, but here's a really short definition I want to give because Jesus doesn't give us a definition of the kingdom of God. He gives us contours of it. He gives us descriptions of it. He gives an announcement of it, but he never says the kingdom of God for all you Western scholars who are going to ask me the question, what exactly is the kingdom? Here's what I want you to know. But he gives a royal announcement and invitations all the time. And participation is one of those invitations. And this is a word that would have meant something throughout the entire story of God. I'm going to give a really short definition for us. It's just the reign and the rule of God. The reign, R-E-I-G-N, not reign as in what was taking place outside a few minutes ago. Uh, the reign and the rule of God has finally arrived. The reign and the rule of God is finally here in a fresh way. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to go back up. I'm going to start verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Who else preached this message? And we talked about it at length a little while ago. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, that was his message. Turn for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, he was announcing the one who was going to come and announce the kingdom was coming, right? So he was like the prequel. All right? And then Jesus steps in and says, I'm the one and now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something is decidedly changed. I'm going to read this next part, but we're not going to give a lot of commentary on it because in a few weeks we're going to spend time looking at just this text. But it fits in here. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. 
They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That word good news is the word we use, gospel, of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Uh, this phrase, I, I want to camp on it for a little bit just so that we understand what it is, and then we'll give out a lot of resources because there's a lot written on this, uh, but I don't want to bypass it real quick. Uh, this word kingdom uh, is the word that we often use when we're talking about this. It could easily, just as easily have been translated reign. Uh, it's within the options of the word when they translate it, but from literally from like the King James Version, which was way long time ago, uh, maybe Tyndale before him, they used the word kingdom because that's what people localized when they thought of this word. It was a place where things happened. And so when you think of kingdom, it was a place where things happened. The only slight problem with that is in the Hebrew and the Greek, which I don't do a lot of this, but this part matters. Uh, it didn't necessarily speak about the place where it happened as much as the actions that took place there. And so it'd be the place where the rain happened. And the emphasis was on the rain, not the geographic borders. Uh, but if you lived in England around the time where there was a kingdom and borders really did matter, uh, that was what was influenced. And we tend to incorporate the biblical story into our story instead of doing it the other way a lot. And so the word kingdom stuck and people thought barriers. Uh, when we hit Matthew, people often think, okay, so the kingdom of heaven then, the, the, the borders or the rain where that happens is in the heavens somewhere other and it's for some future time that's not even close to what Jesus was imagining when he said it uh, Jesus was saying that the realm where God dwells where his reign exists that reign where it's perfectly enacted and lived out uh, that's coming now and it's drawing near to where humans are that, that rain that seemed like there was nowhere to be found. When you walked around the Jewish countryside, you saw people who were waiting for this kingdom to come. Uh, some did it by following all the laws. Some did it by military power. And they're like, if that kingdom's going to come, we're going to make it come. So let's go chop some heads, bust some fools, and we're going to make the kingdom come. Jesus is like, that's not my people either. Like, he corrects that, right? Other people said, uh, maybe we need to go hide off in the desert somewhere. This world's too messed up. We're going to do our own uh, education. We're going to do our own entertainment. We're going to do our own lifestyles, removed from the rest of the world, because that's where the kingdom will come, is if we can just separate ourselves enough. And then most of the people, though, lived everyday normal lives uh, doing the best they could, taking the information they had. Uh, not everybody was a zealot or a Pharisee or an Essene the technical names for those people. There was a lot of people that were just trying to make it day to day and holding on to some vague hope that maybe they would be let out from under the oppression of Rome. And they remembered the stories of a king who was going to come to remove all oppression and to bring peace to all people and to restore order that God intended at the beginning when he created everything good, right, and beautiful, that someday that would come back to this world. And they were hoping for that. 
And so when Jesus announces good news, the kingdom of God is here, that's announcing that reign and that rule of peace and redemption and reconciliation, and the king with it is finally here. And that's why it was a big deal to them. Uh, For our English languages, just for us, those of us that really care about that sort of thing, when you throw the dumb on the out, the D-O-M, not D-U-M-B, uh, the king dumb of God, when you throw that last part on a word, the first part is just saying the kind of, uh, the state of being under that. So if you're, uh, this is how English works, right? So if you're suffering like kids do everywhere across the world, I have so much boredom. What does that mean? You're the state of being bored, right? You're, you're, that's what, that's, uh, if there's martyrdom. That was, um, you were martyred, right? Like you were killed, right? Like you throw the dumb on the end of a word in English and it's being under that influence or being in the state where that's the, the predominant state of being. And so even when they said kingdom, they didn't have this idea of just a palace like you'd see at Disney World. When you go to Disneyland, there'll probably be a palace there. Uh, it's not like, oh, well, that's what that means. That's not for us. It's no, the state of being under a king and living actions as he did in a world that he created in a way that he had it. And so that kingdom being here, that reign where God dwells with his people and things are perfectly acted the way God wanted it to, like that's here now. And that announcement is something beautiful. You could track that kingdom imagery through the entire story of God. It starts using that reign and that rule language all the way back In Genesis 1, where human beings are called to exercise dominion over creation on behalf of God when they're there. And you could trace that thread through the entire story of God. And so this big announcement, this summary statement, the kingdom that you have been longing for is finally here. And Jesus will go one step farther to claim that he's actually the king as well, not just announcing the kingdoms here. But it does look different than everyone expected. And there is that invitation to participation. Where does he proclaim this? He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God throughout Galilee. We see him inviting people to be a part of that. Uh, When you look and he goes up to those young boys that are on the seashore with their parents, uh, just cast in nets, and he invites them to follow him. It's an invitation to participation in the mission of God, which is beautiful. And so we see that there's a royal announcement. It calls into a community. And then even keeping going, it says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The kingdom necessarily involves a declaration and a demonstration, right? There's a, there's a verbal witness and a visual sign that it's finally here. All of that wrapped up in this royal announcement in these few verses. Uh, What I want us to do is to turn back to those groups that you were just with, that you just summarized the teaching of Jesus so beautifully, hitting the different contours. Um, Excellent. I want you to look at the two, just look at the verses, uh, verse 23 through 25. And I want you to imagine with me, because some of you have spent a lot of time around churches. As I'm looking around, a lot of you have a lot of exposure, um, maybe from your childhood, maybe from uh, being a grown-up, maybe from just your own study in the last few years, you've really dug in. And so a lot of you have a lot of exposure to this. Uh, Imagine that this teaching was setting up the baseline of what it looked like to join Jesus in what he was up to. Like when you became a follower of Jesus, you saw that this little text, this little chunk, was what was meant to orient. And there's a lot more to learn, but it starts here. 
It starts with hearing this good news about Jesus and knowing that you're invited to join him in the work that he does. And so what does it teach us about discipleship? What does it teach us about following Jesus? What does it teach us about Jesus himself? Uh, And then we'll take a little bit of time and we'll answer that together. But just turn towards the few people around you. Using those verses, what do you learn about discipleship? What would it look like to follow Jesus if this was one of the anchor passages Matthew, Mark, and Luke each start Jesus' ministry with this affirmation that the kingdom of God is here and that changes everything. And each of them immediately move into action afterwards. None of them allow for that to be a theological idea to pontificate and kind of kick around, but it's a reality in the world that immediately changes things and shifts things and we see new things in a new way. Uh, But... You guys have spent some time now thinking about that, not just the last four minutes, but many of you, uh, the last seasons of your life. What came to mind? What do you learn about Jesus in this? Or what do you think, what is, how does this shape discipleship? Because remember, the goal of Matthew is not just to give biblical trivia for people to answer 2,000 years later. Uh, it's not even to form a religious community that has meetings like this where we teach, but it's to form a faithful witnessing community who steps into the role that Jesus called them to announce good news and embody what that looks like in every cultural context around the world, which is a really big deal. But these texts are so key in starting to give shape to that. So I want us to kick it around. What comes to mind? Uh, when, what do you learn about Jesus in this? Or what about discipleship uh, do you see? And you guys can throw your hand up and we'll do it. Yeah, Deb. Thanks. Um, a couple of things that we were talking about in our group and what re- I really noticed was the amount of healing, just the demonstration of the power of God in people's lives. And I think it was, as Risa said, um, transformation, like it's transformative. And that, um, like there's a lot of... S- Galilee, Syria, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, those are not like, it's not like Mesa and Tempe. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's a large area. So people were talking. That's what I got. I noticed um, the approachability of Jesus that he wasn't some celebrity pastor with a bodyguard and all these barriers to come to him, but he was welcoming and available. And the people that were coming to him, I, I was just thinking about like how desperate they must have been for healing and for good news to be so sick and make the far journey to see Jesus. And so... Um, yeah, just like picturing the crowd being really desperate and also very, very sick. And Jesus was like, I'm available. And I thought that was really beautiful. I was discussing with the girls, um, were Jesus walked into um, what some would deem then and probably now as uncomfortable situations um, and made the individual feel comfortable enough to be healed, um, but walking into uncomfortable situations. And I think in discipleship, 
Um, we may feel that same way at times, but it's um, imitating him and how he handled those uh, circumstances. Um, there were a couple things that came to mind. Brian and I were chatting about there's like this, you mentioned the phrase, um, the kingdom of, of God following Jesus means if I'm under that reign, I'm living like him in some way. And I think, so like using this passage as an establishment of like, what does it mean to follow Jesus and live like him? It means to uh, embody the good news and participate in his restoration mission. But then something that I was just thinking about as you were chatting on the heels of like Advent, where my brain space is kind of still uh, hanging out. Um, like this story is incarnation. Like you can't separate the good news as an idea and real life, real people in real bodies in a real time and space. The good news is incarnational. It's embodied in Jesus in this real place. Uh, and that's shown by the healings and um, liberation and restoration. And so like for me, what does that mean? How, what would following Jesus look like? Uh, I think we all kind of have this tendency to separate the two things, the truth in idea and the embodied uh, healing and vocation and work. And I think for me, what it means to follow Jesus is to do everything I can to try and unite those things in what I do uh, in work, what I do in my family, uh, to not feel the, the need to separate into some like, weird yeah like pre i'll preach the gospel and then i'll clock in and go and work um, but in some ways uh, what i do in my daily life is embodying the gospel just as jesus did and when that happens like they mentioned it spreads uh, to other people so that's what i was thinking about yeah got it um i, I want to add a little bit to that reading this in our current uh, maybe Christian cultural context, that the kingdom is, uh, it changes everything immediately. This isn't like, uh, Jesus isn't saying, hey, come uh, recite a prayer so that someday when you die, you get to bounce around on clouds with weird naked babies and harps. He's saying like the kingdom is right now. It changes things right now. Um, this isn't some like, future thing that won't affect anything until you die. This is now. So I think that's a, that's a little different than maybe a lot, how a lot of us were raised. Um, I, I was looking at the types of diseases that were healed and when it like severe pain, um, mentally ill, um, seizures, I was thinking about like how hard it would be to move those people and the power that whoever took them had to believe that they were going to be healed because that is a lot. Um, and so not just the people that were healed, but the people that took them that believed that Jesus would do something about it. Um, it that's pretty extreme faith, I think.
Uh, similar to Jake, I'm really fascinated by the time dimension too, uh, but in like a kind of a different way, because it says in verse 23 that Jesus went throughout Galilee. And I'm just like thinking about how if he's really God, like he could have just snapped his fingers and healed everyone and avoided the interactions with people. But he like went about the region healing people. And so he's like, there's a process dimension to this too. Like the people need to have an encounter with him. He doesn't avoid those encounters. And um, so following Jesus at the same time is, is a process that happens in our, in our lives as we continue to encounter Jesus. It's not just like, you know, this kind of magic spell that we recite, uh, but it, it happens through time and through space and, yeah. Just one thing, I think Britt could add a lot more to this than me, but the the physicality of it, like it's very embodied, like talking about like the there, there's lots of body in this, like not just the people who are sick, but then also being among people, like what a lot of folks have mentioned. And that's something that I think, like Jake said, it's kind of the opposite of how a lot of us were taught about our faith, that it was kind of disconnected or divorced from our body and just something for our brain or our soul. And so that, that brings so much hope. And even when it's going to go, the very next passage is straight into the Beatitudes where it talks about all these different dimensions of things that are not quite what they ought to be. Um, and that's who this message of hope was for. That's who this kingdom was for. People who had broken hearts, who were disappointed, who their bodies were falling apart, who were under the oppression of someone else. That, that's who it's for. And that's the people that Jesus, in the very next passage, will be like, they're blessed, they're blessed, they're blessed, they're blessed. It's not for those who have it together or those that think they know all the right answers or those who would be like, yo, I'm good to go. Like, I got this on my own. But it's drastically different. But it's not just a, it's not a mental exercise in figuring out which faith journey you want to go on. This is an entire life orientation to a new way of being with Jesus in the world that he's making new. That's the invitation that's coming. And yes, that comes with freedom and forgiveness and there's healings and there's hope and there's all sorts of other beautiful implications of the reality that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again. The next few minutes, I, I wanna give us just three different words that I want to help mark our journey through this book of Matthew. They come out of Matthew so far, but I want us to see first the word repentance. I want this, and our desire of being in Matthew is to remember that we don't have it all together, uh, and those that are most at risk through the words of Matthew are the religious people who think that they need no reminders and they have it all together. Doubling down, it's those who from their youth have been raised in a way that was Christian but missed Christ. That, that's, that's the message. That's part of why we're in Matthew. Because the current makeup of Missio is a lot of people who have been following Jesus for a number of years. And Matthew's going to bring it and be like, hey, those of you that align more with the left than with the kingdom of God, you're missing it. Those of you that align with the right more than the kingdom of God are missing it. Those who align more with the text than the Jesus who wrote the text are missing it. There's, there's something that we need to come together and recognize and realize, and that's going to necessarily uh, move from just preaching at time to straight up meddling in our business, and that's beautiful. 
If we believe that Jesus offers the way of life that we all just talked about, to the degree that we really believe following Jesus is the best possible way to live is the degree that we're happy to say, I got that wrong, there's a right way, let me walk in freedom and newness of life. To the degree that our identity is based on us uh, believing or having believed the right things or behaving a certain way, we're going to have real problems with Jesus and regular issues with the teaching no matter who's up front. Because Jesus wants to offer a new way of life that provides many opportunities for us to correct the spaces and the places where we've missed it. Uh, we'll find there's lots of dialogues because as you're in the text and as you're reading, uh, the Spirit will speak things to you. Uh, we're going to have lots of moments where we have invitations to say, hey, if we know spots where we're already missing it, uh, not just in specific behaviors, though those matter, right? Like if we're acting in such a way that we're oppressing others, that should stop. Uh, if we're acting in ways that are out of line with the sexual integrity that Jesus gives, we should stop and we should move towards life. If we're acting financially in ways uh, that are beyond our means and are putting ourselves enslaved to others, uh, we should stop that and begin to use our finances in a way that honors God. If we are any number of things that Jesus is going to speak specifically to, uh, there will be moments to stop the behaviors and enter into new patterns of life. But even more than that sometimes, there's ways that we've just missed it. Like we've holistically just believed something about Jesus that we made up. Uh, we've created a God in our image, worshipped him, and Jesus is going to be like, hey, that's not me, by the way. Like for all of us, I pray there's a moment where you realize Jesus is raising his hand in the back and be like, hey, what you believed about me, that's not me. That was you. And get invited into newness of life. But we have to be able to respond and not just say someday, but the invitation continually through the text will be today. How does that come, though? It's not through me saying, we're terrible Christians. You should feel bad that you were raised in a Christian home that might have missed a thing or two because guess what? Our kids miss a thing or two when we teach them. Like, every generation will pass on some slight distortion. Not on purpose, but we, we miss some stuff or we don't emphasize something that will come to light later. Like, that, our cultural expression of Christianity will never be perfect until Jesus physically and finally reigns again, right? Until that day, we've got a lot of humility in how we handle this. But I don't want to make you feel bad we're behaving a certain way. It's like, hey, guilt will get you there. Maybe there is some guilt. When we do things wrong, guilt is not a bad emotion because you've done something wrong, but it should lead you to life. But what's, what does Jesus give us? Hey, repent. Why? Because there is a realization that the kingdom of God is here and there's a better way to live. Uh, continually through the words and the message of Jesus, he's inviting into something new and something fresh and something whole. The direction isn't just a feeling bad for feeling bad's sake. It's to recognize how what you're doing destroys and distorts God's created intention. And I want to straighten that out for you so that you can walk in life and flourishing for yourself, your community, and the world around you. And when we realize that, it makes us want to walk in line with it. To the degree that we recognize and realize Jesus isn't just a king, but he's got a way for us to live. And no matter how much we botched it in the past, there's still a way forward. Those are, those are realizations, though, that I don't think are just born out of just doubling down on shame or trying to get somebody to throw a little bit more money in an offering plate to make up for what they did last night. I don't think it works. But a realization that a world-changing reality has happened, that the kingdom of God is here, and that has implications for you tonight, that's beautiful. And so we'll continue to emphasize that. This is a realization piece. And so uh, like some of Jesus' stories, we're going to get it in part, and then we'll get it more later. And I pray that in 40 years, those of us that are still around, we're still finding out fresh ways that we realize the kingdom of God changes everything, and we find delight in that.
Uh, the last thing that I do pray for our community is that it leads to renewal. The people of God who have been longing and waiting and prayerfully expecting this king, when he arrived and he offered a pathway, it was through him. He was the king. Enter in. Walk this way. Believe these things. Practice this out this way. When he did that, it didn't lead to a brand new vocation for God's people. It led to a renewal of their original calling to walk with God, to enjoy him, to be a community of light, and let that lead to the flourishing of God's world. Uh, there's a renewal that happens both inside us as we realize the kingdom of God is here, but there's also a renewal that happens in the spaces that we inhabit. Uh, there's a renewal that happens in our dating relationships, in our marriage, in our friendships, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in the way that we operate in our work. And we see our work actually matters, not just uh, it's the side thing I have to do for my side hustle until I can show up on a Sunday again. Jesus is like, that's not what I meant ever. But there's a renewal of these things that maybe have laid latent in your heart. And that's what we pray happens across Missio as we're equipped and released back out. When it came to following Jesus, there was two answers. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands today, but I would love for you to anchor it in your heart and squeeze somebody's hand and say, I got mine. You had the I'm in? Yep. Kingdom of God is here. Yep. Drop the nets. Follow me. Uh, but as long as you have breath, the answer is not always just like straight up. No, it's not right now. Um, because you realize that God is a God of second chances and he comes back to people again and again and again. And so maybe you said no in the past, but there's another option in. Now, when breath stops and life ends, the Bible would teach us that opportunity is over. But as long as we all have breath in this room, we're going to say, we're saying not right now. That doesn't make it more glamorous or easier to say. You look at Jesus, though, at every invitation, you'd be like, all right, I'm in. If that's what you say, I'm in. Or we're saying, I hear what you're saying. Not right now, Jesus. But we are giving a response, and the call of the gospel will always come with a response. There's not a neutrality when it comes to the teaching and the way of Jesus. And our hope is that consistently we build up the rhythm, be like, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm in. That's the space that we live as we follow Jesus into his kingdom. Would you guys take a moment? Um, even if you're not a head bower, just close your eyes so that way you don't just look around in distraction. We talked through a lot. You read a lot. You had a lot of conversations. I said a few things. Uh, would you just take a moment, and in the practice Kenny gave us before, slow your breathing down, and be aware that God is with you, and just ask him, is there something you want me to take away in this moment? Before the pace of life picks back up, and you head on to what's next, as exciting or as mundane as it may be, Sit with Jesus in this moment. Is there something that you sense he's saying to you?